Well, I appreciate He cannot hear me. All right. I'll try to turn it on again. Now it's on. Okay. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with us to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. Tonight uh, is the conclusion of our Sunday school series on the local church and missions. It's not a Sunday school lesson because it's not Sunday morning. Uh, this morning I preached it uh, to the morning crowd, and so that was the Wednesday morning uh, Sunday school lesson, or the su- anyway, the Wednesday lesson. Uh, but this is a little bit of preaching involved in this as well, so it, it's fitting for Thursday night. I mean Wednesday night. And I'm uh, going to give you a little bit of review of where we've been and where we're going. This matter of the local church and missions. You are the local church. You understand that. It's not the building. It's not the name on the building. Sometimes I say, I'm going down to the church, and it uh, doesn't mean I'm going to go where the church is. I'm going to go where the church meets, the building. But we, the individuals, the members, we are the church. And uh, I want to remind us whose church it is and who's building this church, because the local church and missions cannot be separated. Matter of fact, the great co-mission is us working together as a company. We're working together in the mission of bringing people to Christ, building them up in Christ, and then sending them out for Christ. And that's what tonight's message is all about. That is this matter of the place of missions, the place of missions. We talked in some of our other lessons about the program of missions, uh, what, the, what is the church uh, what is it supposed to be doing? How does it do what's supposed to be done? We talked about those things. We'll review a little bit of that tonight. We'll get into some of that. We talked about the pursuit of missions. That is the objectives and the methods and the, the goal of missions. What missions is, what missions is not. And it's not a lot of things that people call missions. We talked about the growing of the garden of missions. How a, missions is like a, a garden, church planting uh, you, you, you sow the seed and you water the seed and the, the seed begins to produce a plant and then that plant reproduces itself. That's exactly what missions is. It's all about. Because when missions is actually in progress, there are local congregations that start springing up. That's what missions is. You see that in the New Testament. In Paul's writings, it's exactly what you see. It wasn't just Paul going out and evangelizing the world by himself. It was the Apostle Paul who had the conviction and the calling of God in his heart to go out and mentor others and bring others with him on a mission to bring the gospel of Christ to the entire world. This church, this assembly, usens, we together, are challenged to do the same thing. We are to reach the world for Christ. Over the last 39 years, we've sent out some 40 families as missionaries from this congregation. We have 26 families currently serving, and uh, we're trusting there's more in the pipeline. We're praying for more, more laborers for the harvest. God doesn't call everyone to be a missionary, but God does call everyone, every one of his believers, everyone who's a member of the church to be involved in missions, and you are in your praying, in your giving, in your witness. 
in your attending services. That's part of missions. And so tonight, let's start with Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 16, Matthew 16, 16. And we've heard this recently, but it bears repeating. It says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 18, Jesus responds and says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that is the rock of what he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock will I build my church. And notice who is going to do it. It's not going to be the apostles or the prophets. It's Jesus Christ himself. I will build my church. My church. It belongs to him. A committed preacher. A surrendered church. And the word of God. What do they have in common? They all belong to Christ. We are the Lord's. We are purchased by him. We're from tip to toe and lock, stock and barrel. We belong to him fully, completely. We are his. We have no right to ourselves to live our own life, our own way. Because he died for us, we're to live for him. When we signed in blood, not ours, his. When we signed that contract of faith in his blood, trusting his shed blood for our sins, we died to ourselves and we have risen to walk in newness of life. This life includes the church. It includes bringing others to him, encouraging others and building them up in him and sending them out for him. That's what the church does. And that is exactly what missions is. Again, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're going to be talking about the church and we're going to be talking about this matter of the place of missions. What place does missions have in our church, truly? What place does missions have in your life? What place does missions have in your prayer life, in your giving, in your going? Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, as we bow before you, I beg you, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And not for man's sake, not even for ministry's sake, but Lord, for you and your holy word's sake and your people's sake, your church's sake, Lord, would you speak in a very clear way from your word that we might get a handle on this matter of missions and not just be challenged, but Lord, be changed in our heart, in our mind, in our thinking, in our focus in our lives, in the way we live. I pray, Lord, we might have a heavenly vision and, Lord, it might reach out beyond our borders. It might reach around the world. We commit it to you, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the word church uh, simply means the assembly. And what does an assembly do? What does an assembly do? Let's think about that. The word ecclesia means simply an assembly. It could be an assembly of anything. Uh, The pastor recently covered some of this in in his message. I think it was on Sunday night. And I'm thinking, oh, he's he's stealing my thunder. (laughs) Hope he doesn't say too much more. Well, he covered it all. That's fine, too. 
But this matter of ecclesia, this matter of assembly, this is God's assembly. This is the Lord's assembly. There's another word, uh, kuriakos, is where we get the word, the English word church from, a Greek word kuriakos. And that word simply means it belongs to the Lord or of the Lord or belonging to him. And so the church belongs to him. We are his and it's the assembly of God's people that belongs to him. It's an amazing thing as the Apostle Paul went out, as he was separated, we're going to see some of these verses in a moment, as he went out and was preaching the gospel of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and people came to a saving knowledge. And by the way, tonight there's someone listening, perhaps here, perhaps over the internet, who still needs to get this matter of salvation settled. Let me tell you, Uh, There's nothing more important in all eternity because that's how long salvation lasts. And if you die in your sins, it will be eternity in hell. It'll be eternity in torments according to God, according to his word. But as many as received him, Christ, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When I was a young child, uh, I think I was 12, maybe just before I turned 13, I believed with head knowledge that Jesus was the Son of God, but I was not saved. My sins were not forgiven. There was no change. I went forward in a church service. I was baptized. They said, congratulations, you're going to heaven. You're a Christian. You can take the Lord's Supper now. Oh, that was a big deal, I guess. But I wasn't saved because that head knowledge had to be transferred to heart trust. For by grace are you saved through faith and it not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, a gift that must be received. Not of works, lest any man should boast. When I received Christ as a young adult, 24 years of age, I'm telling you, God made the difference. Things changed quickly. Immediately things changed. Now, I'm no longer his, I'm no longer mine. I only belong to him. But so many times I try to take the reins back. So many times this flesh wants to live for itself. Let's get back to this matter of the church. Ecclesia. It's the church. It's the body. It's the building. It's a bride. Listen, the founder of the church is God. The head of the church is Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. The authority of the church is what? The word of God. That's the authority of the church, the word of God. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit of God. The local leader of this church is the under shepherd. We have a chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, but we also have an under shepherd and under shepherds. Those are the pastors of our church. The caretakers, the servants, and the workers of the church, the assembly, the bride of Christ are the members of the church, you, me, each one of us who know Christ as Savior and are part of this assembly. We've assembled tonight, now what do we do about it? Well, we do what the church is supposed to do. The church assembles. That's what an assembly does. Not only does it assemble, the church is to glorify God. It's to bring glory to Him, not glory to a man, not glory to a people, glory to God. The church is to edify its members, build them up, strengthen them, ground them doctrinally. The church, what does the church do? It assembles, it glorifies God, it edifies its members, it purifies its membership. 
when there's sin in the camp, that sin is confronted and confessed or otherwise dealt with. So the membership of the church, the congregation of the church is clean. It's pure. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Confessing, forsaking sin together as a body. Commuting with the Lord. The church is to evangelize the world. That's missions. The church is to reproduce itself in local assemblies like this all over the world. That's what the church is supposed to do. Now, we've got, we've got churches from Madison Baptist Church all over the world. You understand, we have, we have missionaries in Asia. We have missionaries in Europe. We have missionaries in Africa. We have missionaries in North America. We have missionaries in South America. We've got missionaries. The sun doesn't set on, on Madison Baptist Church. It just, it's always shining. Somewhere around the world, we have churches, daughter churches, and granddaughter churches, and great-great-granddaughter churches from this ministry right here. Now, we have 26 families currently serving from this congregation. We have 14 14 countries where there's active ministries taking place. I've named the continents, but we have 14 countries where there's active ministries that are being overseen by our missionaries. Why isn't there more? We have sometimes, we have churches call, and I receive a lot of different phone calls from a lot of different pastors and a lot of different missions uh, directors. And uh, they're amazed. Some of them call and say, wow, I just can't believe you have so many missionaries out of your congregation. How, how can that be? What did you do? Well, God did it. We didn't do anything. God does it. But the question is, why aren't there more? Why are there only 26 families currently serving? Why, why only 40 families in these 39 years? We run 300, 400, 500 people and only those few? You see, as I watch the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, uh, everywhere he goes, there, there's more people coming to him. There's more people attached to him. Uh, you, you find him on his, on his first missionary journey. Obviously, he preached and Timothy came to know Christ. And On his second missionary journey, he came through and, and picked up Timothy. And, and uh, Paul and Silas then went on down to, to Troas and Luke joined him there. Uh, they went up to Macedonia. Others joined him there, down to Berea and Thessalonica, uh, going down to, to Athens and then over to Corinth. More picked, you had uh, Aquila and Priscilla uh, at that point. And it just grew and grew and grew. And these ministered, these, these missionaries that he mentored, they followed him, not only just following him, they were church planters on their own right as well. It's an amazing thing how that works. Pray. Jesus told us what to pray for. You understand that. He said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth more laborers into his harvest. For the fields are white already under harvest, ready to be picked right now. The need is great. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But that's what the church is. Listen, the church is that local, local not local, loco, local, all right? It is the local assembly. We're together. Local means I can see you. We're a group. We're not 
Those that aren't here, aren't here. I can see you. We are the assembly. It's local. It's assembled. It's organized. Although sometimes we look like we're not. It is. This is an organized assembly of baptized believers who meet regularly for the purpose of glorifying God through worship, evangelism, and edification of the saints. This is the church. I'm so glad for our church. Are you? Oh, we can't take it for granted. Remember the months not too long ago where we could not meet. We were told we could not meet. We were told we should not meet. And boy, uh, I wanted to meet. And here we are now on the other side of that, we hope, we trust. And we're meeting. We're taking, taking this fellowship together with the Lord. I'd like us to, to turn somewhere. We're going we're gonna to read up. Uh, a prophetic passage of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've seen this before, but a familiar passage, Acts chapter 1. Will you turn there with me, please? Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, here's how it is to be done. Here is where the disciples were told they're going to go. Here's what Jesus said just before he ascended on high. Here's what Jesus told his disciples, his last words, his final words. And it was prophetic. It was not an order. This was not a command. This was a prophetic. Here's what's going to happen. And he says in chapter 1, verse 8, you're there. He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And boy, did they. In the next chapter, you'll see all that the Holy Spirit did. Manifested his grace and his power and thousands were saved. He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And by the way, when the Holy Ghost fills someone and empowers someone, guess what they become? Witnesses. That's a natural. It's a given. Someone who's filled is going to be spilling out, going to be sharing what he's filled with. And so he says, the Holy Ghost, when he comes upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me. Now watch, both in Jerusalem... That's where they were at. That was their headquarters. And in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now that's way over in, in Jerusalem. And I suppose these centuries later, these millennia later, we are the uttermost part of the earth. Here we are. Because these disciples were faithful and God says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Here we are. Here we are. What are we doing? We Listen, they had, they had the, uh, the baton. It's been passed down through generations and generations. This wonderful, old, precious book who God promised he wouldn't, he wouldn't let one jot or tittle drop from it till all be fulfilled. He's preserved it for us. We're in the land of the living right now. These others are not. We are. Church. What about missions? What is the place of missions in your life? What is the place of missions in your life? If you would turn over a few more pages to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Just laying a foundation for the, for the message. Acts chapter 26. Notice what he says. Jesus is speaking here in Acts chapter 26. Well, it's the Apostle Paul giving his testimony. And his testimony includes the words of Jesus, what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul on that road to Damascus. 
And the Apostle Paul now is recounting this and giving us again, and he's done it number, uh, several times in, in the book of Acts. He gives us again now his testimony. And he says in verse 18, Jesus is speaking. And he's telling the Apostle Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. That's us and those who aren't Jew. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. You're going to be a light to the Gentiles. Now watch. And he says, here's the purpose. Verse 18, to open their eyes. Because you see, the eyes of the unbeliever are absolutely blinded. They're shut. They cannot believe. There is no spiritual understanding except the Holy Spirit of God open those eyes and illumine those eyes. It comes by faith in God's word. It comes by saying yes to him. And tonight, if the word of God makes no sense to you, you simply need to have your eyes opened and your ears and your heart opened. And it's only done by surrendering to him, to Christ. Lord, save me. I trust you. I take you now as my savior. When that is done, it's amazing how the world changes or at least the world view in your heart and life changes. I remember when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was walking down the sidewalk to my work. And I was, I could walk just like it was just, just now. And it was, it was a good while back, 40-something years. And uh, 42, 43 years ago, I was walking down the sidewalk. There was the, my place of work. And I was thinking, wow, I have a new life. I have eternal life. Jesus says, I will never die. Oh, yeah, the body will, will fail, will, will fade, will, it will corrupt. But the spirit, God has saved me and my soul is eternal now in his hands. My whole worldview changed. That first week of salvation, I'm telling you, absolutely changed. Everything had a, had a new glimmer to it, a new prospect, a new insight, a new perspective. That, my friend, is God working to open their eyes. Now watch, not only that, number two, to turn them from darkness to light. Well, that's what opening the eyes does. And when we turn to, to Christ, who is the light, we turn away from darkness. We don't, we don't turn to darkness and stay in that darkness and say we're in the light. That's a lie. We deceive ourselves and we're calling God a liar. When he saves us, he turns us to light. He says to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. Because the lost, however nice and squeaky clean they may look, how kind they may speak. Without Christ, they will die in their sins. Without Christ, there's no help, there's no hope, and there is no eternal home. They are condemned Already, according to John chapter 3, verse 18, there's nothing they have to do to be condemned. They're condemned right now. And if you're without Christ, God says that's your condition. You are condemned, but Christ came and died for your, your sins. That by simple faith, by receiving him by faith, you can have your sins absolutely remitted, absolutely taken away, removed. He says to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me, that is in Christ. Wow. That's what God is doing in the world. That's what God wants missions to do. From Asia to Africa to 
Europe, America, North America, South America, the islands, doesn't matter where, it's everywhere people need Christ because everywhere people are condemned already because of their birth from Adam. And that second Adam has come. That's missions. That's the precious gospel, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that resurrection is true for everyone who places their trust in him. The place of missions. Well, Jesus said, you'll go to the uttermost part of the earth. Here we are. And the command, it's not a command, the prophecy is still the same. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God will go to the uttermost parts of the earth sharing his gospel. The problem is, is our visions need to be changed a little bit, needs to be enlarged a little bit. Matter of fact, needs to be enlarged and expanded a lot. I think we think that missions is for somebody else. It's for those few 26 families. Or it's for those who have some kind of a flash of lightning in their life. And, and uh, listen, I'll tell you who God calls. God calls those who are busy already. We've said it before. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Some people's vision is reaching their family for Christ. Us four no more close the door. Others, it's my neighbors or my street or, you know, our city really needs Christ. Others, the vision of missions reaches out to the whole state or a whole region. Others, it's for an entire country or a continent. Let me say this. Our vision needs to be like Christ. It needs to be like the Apostle Paul's. It needs to be worldwide. We are to go to people who have never heard. We are to go to people who have already heard. We are to go to people who do not want Christ. We are to go to people who do not want Christians to tell them about Christ. By the way, that's right here in Madison, Alabama. We are to go to people who say they are religious and say, hey, I'm okay. Have you heard that before? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's kind of like, please be quiet. (laughs) I'm okay because if I know what you're going to tell me, then I won't be okay. And they're exactly right. They won't be okay. We're to go to every creature, to every nation in all the world. Isn't that a, that's, that's big. Every creature, every nation, all the world. How, How can we do that? Well, notice what it says in in Acts chapter 13. We're going to see a a mission church that came out of the dispersion of of the Jews because of persecution of the death of Stephen. And these Christians came together in a place called Antioch of Syria. And in Antioch of Syria, this local New Testament independent Baptist church was uh, was born and God started adding specially skilled people for that church. By the way, that's what he does. According to... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it is God himself who places members in the church. So you're not here by mistake. You're not here by your choice. You're here by God's choice. And he's given you gifts to exercise in this congregation that his perfect will might be performed. You with me? Here you are, church. Here you are, gifted members. Here we are together. Now we have a mission. What is the mission? 
to go to everyone, everywhere, and tell them about Jesus, the Savior of all. Well, notice what he says in chapter 1. I'm sorry, verse 1, chapter 13. Acts 13, 1, as soon as I find it myself. He says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets. Now that word prophets can also be preachers, all right? They were preachers. So there were certain preachers and teachers. And by the way, it also includes what we would know as a prophet, someone who, who receives revelation from God. So in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And then he names five men, five gifted men in this church at Antioch. We don't know the size of the church. We don't know who the pastor was. Um, but these were five preachers and teachers. They were preaching and teaching the word of God. Of course, we know that one of them is going to be listed here is one who had the opportunity to actually write scripture from God himself, the Apostle Paul. And I'm sure those things that he was teaching and preaching were a lot of the same things that we're reading in the New Testament, guaranteed. And so he says, he says, here they are. He, he names them certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So here's the five. What a, what a pool of missionary candidates right here. Here's the pool. These are the faithful ones. Hey, notice what these faithful ones were doing. These were, these were prophets and teachers. That means they were busy in ministry. They were ministering already. By the way, a missionary who's called to the mission field isn't someone who's sitting there waiting for something to happen. <laughs> well, here I am, Lord. Just use me. I'm waiting on you, Lord. Feel free. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It's, Lord, I understand your command, and I'm going. And I'll go here until you tell me to go someplace else. And I'll do here what, I, what others do there because you've told us to preach the gospel to every creature. And I'm going to exercise my, gift, my gifts that you've given me, spiritual gifts, in this local assembly to encourage others, to help others, but to mobilize us and move us out to reach the world for Christ. Woo! Verse 2 says... As they ministered to the Lord, there you go. Doesn't that kind of put the capstone on it? They were ministering. They were working. But the, 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 the they, the pronoun there, the, what's, what's the antecedent? Who is the they? Is it the five men that were, that were mentioned? No, it's not. If you read further, you'll find out that they was the church. It was the rest of them. It was, it was you and I, every one of them. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasted, and there's a real spiritual key, as we neglect the flesh, as we purposely put to death the flesh and allow the spirit to live, we have some discernment. We can listen. We have ears to hear. It says, as they, uh, they fasted, they ministered to the Lord. And notice who they ministered to. They didn't minister one another or to the church. They ministered to the Lord. And fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, I'm not sure when God spoke to Barnabas and Saul. <laughs> I hope it wasn't after they, the Lord spoke to the church about it. Wouldn't that be a shocker? Come up, okay, Brother Allen, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> the church told us, or God told us, you're going next. <laughs> 
That'd be a little bit of a shocker. I'm sure that Paul, Saul, and Barnabas both knew what God was doing in their hearts, but he was confirming that in the church. He does that. He does that. It says, verse 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, so that they here, the antecedent still is the church, the they, those who were, uh, had fasted and those had prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now, we don't think this is an ordination. This is a commissioning service. All right, we're sending you out. We're, we're authorizing you from our church. You're going to be the spokesperson from our congregation to reach that world for Christ. Boy, and it's an exciting world out there. Dangerous world, but what a powerful God that they had. And it's the same God that we have. And he calls the people the very same way. God puts his hand upon them. And who sent them out? Well, it said in verse 3 that the church sent them away. But that's not who sent them away. Verse 4 says, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, say, huh? So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, that's a city in Cyprus, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, John Mark, to their minister. That's Barnabas's cousin. Interesting thing. Here's, here's, here's something that you don't see. You don't see the church saying, here's where you need to go. We need you to go down to, uh, down to Cyprus and we need you to preach there. Then, then go over to Asia and, and preach up and around there, Asia Minor. We, we need you to go that way. No, the church didn't. By the way, we don't tell our missionaries where to go. God does. And God has to confirm that to the church. Yes, this person's called this, this person's called to this particular people or this particular geographical area to this nation. Yes. And it's up to God and that missionary to follow him, to, to have the sensitivity to hear God, to have the sensitivity to understand what God's doing in their life. But it's up to the church to say, okay, we can authorize that. We believe God's in this. Yes, we believe so. We've prayed, we've fasted, we've sought the, the God of heaven, and he's answered. So as they ministered, God separated them. And in verse 3, the church sent them. In verse 4, they were sent by the Holy Ghost. So which one sent them? The answer is yes. Both. As the church sent them, it was the Holy Spirit of God sending them. And guess where they went? They went to Cyprus of all places. Cyprus. That sounds familiar. Oh, that's the home of Barnabas. That's where Barnabas was from. Cyprus. Remember, he sold his land and, and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's when Ananias and Sapphira had the great idea. They're going to lay some at the apostles' feet too, but they're going to lie about it. So here's Barnabas, and he and Saul are going to a place that he's familiar with. And, and Barnabas is taking his cousin, his young cousin, John Mark, with him as well. And John Mark was well known. It was Peter who was knocking at the door at John Mark's mother's house. When the damsel looked and said, oh, it's Peter, and left him out there to be knocking at the door. So here we have the familiar. And these missionaries went to the place that they knew first. Then, hey, Barnabas knows the culture there. He's from there. He's told John Mark all about it, I'm sure. 
he encouraged Saul, the apostle Paul, encouraged him. Hey, I know these people. Uh, we, can, we can get into the synagogues there. We can preach. God's in this and God was in it. And they preached through the cities uh, of, uh, of Cyprus. And then they went over to the land. And that's when John Mark headed back home. Now, we're going to talk about missionaries leaving the field in just a moment. But it's interesting that God chose those who were already busy and then God directed them by the Holy Spirit where to go next. We don't find where, where the Holy Spirit says, go here, go here, go here, go here. They went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere preaching the word. But they had a particular path that they led. And then when they finished that, then Silas and Paul went off and, and, and kind of backtracked and went over the same, some of the same places. When we first started the series on the 13-week series on the local church and missions, some said, well, you know, I, I don't know how you're going to teach for 13 weeks on missions. I mean, and I said, man, you're right. I need 52 weeks at least. You're right. Well, they were kind of talking the other way. Like, how, how can you talk that much? Hey, listen, uh, I teach four courses on missions in the college, and most of this material is not in those courses there's so much about missions because everywhere you look in the New Testament, it's missions, it's missions, it's missions. And our heart and our vision needs to be expanded. We need to understand that God is in this matter of mission. He prepares a servant of Christ. He calls him to the gospel ministry. He gives him experience in teaching and preaching, gets him busy in ministry, and then leads him to other places to teach others the same thing over and over again. That's missions. You with me? That's missions. Oh, the precious gospel, the yielded preacher, the local church, they all belong to Christ. What about this matter of not only the place of missions, but the place of missions in parting? When, when a missionary leaves the field, is there, some, is there some relevance? Is there a reason that... When a missionary goes, shouldn't he go there for life? Shouldn't he go there? Okay, I'm leaving. I'm burning the bridges behind me. I'm going to die there. That kind of a thing. Well, I think nobody wants to, to plan on dying somewhere. <laughs> Although we, we ought to make plans because we're all going to die. Except the Lord would come back soon. But there are reasons for leaving the field. Let me go cover a few of those just for practicality point. Turning over the church to the leadership of a national pastor and the national congregation. National meaning if you're overseas, if you're in a place like Uganda, turn it over to a Ugandan pastor, someone you've trained, someone you've taught, someone you've mentored. And when that pastor is ready to take the leadership, making sure that the congregation accepts him as the pastor, standing back and helping him as much as you can, and then leaving them. So there is a time to leave the field. In Uganda, we were there for nine years in one place. In South Africa, we were in nine years in another place and five years in another place. It takes time. I can remember getting uh, some encouragement, which was a discouragement. <laughs> um, someone, someone close to me wrote me a letter and said, aren't you going to turn this church over? You know, so-and-so turned that church over. Aren't you going to turn yours over? It's, 
But yeah, when God, when God sends me a leader, when I can train a leader, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Well, the church is, is flourishing now. The other one's closed. But it's flourishing. We waited on God. We called it national. God does his work in his time. Hey, how about, how about a missionary leaving the field because God said so? I guess that works. <laughs> yep, that works. God said so. We've had missionaries do that. Why? Because God said so. Can't argue with that. You're listening to God? God said, what are you going to tell the missionary? No, I'll go back. No. We pray for the missionaries. You have to. You must. We must pray for them. For wisdom, for discernment, for sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God. <coughs> because of death. Well, that'll, that'll bring one home. Unless we're talking about church planting when we plant the missionary. And that's not what we're talking about. Illness, that can bring a missionary home. Government, visas not being approved, that'll do it. That was our situation. Security, how about when it's a dangerous situation? Should, should the church call, the, call the, the missionaries home? Maybe. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe or not. It's up to the missionary. Maybe the missionary will send his wife and children, but stay on the field himself. How about this one? Disqualification because of sin. I'm afraid so. That happens. And when a missionary or a pastor is disqualified, they are disqualified. Hopefully, one comes home not because of convenience. You know, I really don't like this place. It's kind of an ugly place. The people are kind of weird. Well, everybody's kind of weird, aren't we? Or a lack of response. You know, I've been here for years and only had one person saved or nobody saved. Hey, hang in there. There's been people that stayed longer than that and had successful ministries. Because God says stay. Listen to God. Worldly opportunities. Well, I've, I've got a job offer. Man, my family can have some real money. No, no, not because of those reasons. Reproaches in leaving, rushing the situation in order to leave, <laughs> closing the church so you can leave, resisting to leave. Some, some missionaries get comfortable on the field. I want to stay right here where I am. This is great. The dollar exchange is great. They got a Walmart down the street. Man, I've got it. <laughs> not, no. How about a missionary who returns after he leaves? He has no authority over that local church once he leaves that church and it's in charge, although he does have some counsel he can offer if he's invited to do that. Very, very sensitive there. Like a pastor who leaves a ministry here. He comes back. Beware. Be careful. Walk very, very lightly, very carefully. What place does missions have in prayer? We'll close with this one. The place of missions. Prayer. Prayer. What place does missions have in your prayer life? What does it have? What place does it have in our church? Prayer. Prayer for missions. What place does it have? We have a prayer meeting once a month, once a month, <laughs> an hour a month. 10 to 15 people come to the prayer meeting first Friday night of each month, called the Ray, Perry, Ray Berry prayer meeting. Some of our missionaries 
we've printed these off before, but on the back table here, there's a number of these of these pictures of our missionaries, their field of service and their names. You're welcome to pick one up on the back table back here. But I, I use that as my prayer, my prayer list when I pray for our missionaries. They need your prayers. We need your prayers. God asked us to pray. When Pastor Smith was preaching uh, on uh, Sunday night, or was it Sunday morning? <laughs> it was Sunday morning. Uh, he mentioned this verse in Luke chapter 5, verse 20. And I won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't belabor things, but listen to this. And see if it says what I think it says. In Luke chapter 5, verse 20, it says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. I wonder in our prayer life, does God see our faith? Is our faith reflected in our prayer life? It is. Either it's seen or unseen. O ye of little faith, or O ye of no faith, or where is your faith? As we're on our knees, it exercises our faith. It tells God we're trusting in Him. It tells God we're waiting on Him. We're looking to Him. We're asking Him for answers. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And He spake a parable unto them, to this end that men ought always to pray. Always to pray. At the... A few verses down in verse 7, it says, And shall not, the God, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, listen, nevertheless, when the Son of God cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He's talking about prayer. He's talking about finding faith in prayer. This passage is on prayer in, 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 in Luke 18. So how is your faith? Or let me ask it a different way. How's your prayer? Are you praying for your missionaries? Are you praying generally for more laborers? He tells us to. Are you praying for the unreached people in the world? He tells us to. Are you praying for geographical areas? Saints of old did just that. They prayed for Africa. They prayed for places in Europe. They, they prayed for China, the communist countries. Are you praying generally? Are you praying specifically? Specifically for Madison Baptist Church, world missionaries? Pray for them. Read their stories. Read their prayer letters. We have, we have updates on the Ray Berry prayer list. There's an update of all of our missionaries. Every month it's updated. There's, there's on the on the table out here on the, on the north end, uh, there's a, another sheet. This is sheet number three of five sheets. Every week on a Wednesday, these sheets are printed out and placed out there. And they're sent out by email. Some of you get those on email. You can see all the missionaries we support, including our own missionaries, and their needs. Can you pray generally and specifically? Can you pray particularly? Do you know which missionaries are in a building program right now? Do you know which missionaries are facing very difficult health issues right now? Do you know which missionaries are suffering because of emotional issues? We have some. Do you know which missionaries need your prayers about specifics in their life, particular things? Well, let me ask you again, how's your faith? I mean, how is your prayer life? Because it's the same. 
Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good in the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. I'll summarize our 13 weeks on the local church and missions with this one sentence. Listen closely. The work of missions is the result of prayer. The work of missions is the result of prayer. You heard Brother Tony say, hey, prayer was how our church started. Prayer in, a, in, in, a, in an old abandoned airport. Prayer. Prayer as the church started. Prayer. The work of world missions is the result of prayer, obedience, service to God, and a daily walk with Jesus Christ, our Lord. How's your faith? Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for missions. Thank you that you've allowed every one of us to be involved in the very purpose of your church, missions, reaching the world for Christ. Oh, Father, would you forgive us for our lack of faith? Father, would you forgive us for our lack of prayer? Please, Lord, forgive us for forgetting and not focusing on what you focus on as you sent the Apostle Paul and these others from that church at Antioch and the, the entourage that Paul had gathered up over the years and through his uh, missionary journeys and how that spread throughout Asia and throughout Europe. Oh, Father in heaven, would you forgive us for our nearsightedness? I pray, Lord, we might have foresight and farsightedness, Lord. Open our ears and our hearts. We commit ourselves to you the Holy One, the True One, the Right One, we'd ask your forgiveness, Lord. And we'd ask you that we might be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, that we might be that which brings pleasure and joy, honor and glory to you, the God of heaven. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.